Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Health Care on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com physician rating patient satisfaction website. Today, we're talking with the leader of an organization that is devoted to improving the quality of health care everywhere. This is the preeminent organization that evaluates and uh, sets standards for health plans. This organization is evaluating health plans that cover over 100 million Americans. Our guest today is Margaret O'Kane. She's president of the National Committee for Quality Assurance, also called the NCQA. The NCQA is an independent nonprofit organization that collects data on the quality of health care provided from health plans and medical practices. They've put out a wonderful report, over 160 pages long, entitled The State of Healthcare Quality that you can access over the Internet. And I'll give you the link at the end of the program. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Ms. O'Kane. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about the NCQA? Yeah. Uh, we're the National Committee for Quality Assurance, and we started in 1990 as an organization uh, with a mission to improve the quality of health care. Uh, we started by uh, working around the concept of the accountable health plan. Um, at that point, many purchasers, uh, private sector employers like uh, big Fortune 500, um, had a HMO strategy for buying high-quality health care. And um, so they needed an organization that would go in and assess the quality of health plans um, and allow them to, you know, be sure they were offering high-quality products to their employees. Um, so over the years, um, uh, we've begun accrediting all different types of health plans. We've become, begun to recognize medical practices that are excellent in delivery of diabetes care, prevention of heart disease and stroke, um, management of back pain, and also uh, we have something called the patient-centered medical home, uh, which is about being kind of a 21st century practice with, um, you know, uh, very patient-oriented care uh, with a plan that's customized to each patient and, um, uh, you know, having the information at the point of care to do an excellent job. So this, that's this kind is of who we are in a nutshell. Yeah, this is very interesting to me. So when you say medical practices, you're not talking about um, groups of doctors in, in that sense of a medical practice. You're talking yes, about yes, we are. We are. We're talking about it may be a single doctor, uh, it may be a group, it may be a large group. So, so when I'm talking about medical practices, I mean medical offices. Yeah. Uh, you weren't referring to the practice of the management of back pain. No, 
I wasn't. Okay. So you started by grading health plans, basically, on how well they were doing. And yes. then it's expanded to grading physicians. Grading practices, I would say. And, you know, typically um, I, the average size practice that we, that we grade, and we're not grading them. We're, we're saying they're excellent because they meet these standards. Um, the average size of the practices is five. Excellent. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's interesting to me. Um, the initial thought to to evaluate the standards of the health plans, because then presumably the health plans are responsible for evaluating the standards of their physicians. But you're also going directly in evaluating whether the physicians are meeting standards, and then presumably um, the ultimate person responsible for for the patient is the patient, and uh, you're not setting their standards, but the health plan and the doctors are, I guess, responsible for getting the patients to take their medicines, do the tests, things like that. Yeah, I mean, you raise a very interesting point because I think, you know, there's only so much that your doctor can do, and then then it's up to you, right? Yeah. Um, You know, so your doctor may tell you to lose weight or take these medicines and, and so forth, but if you decide you're not in the mood, um, then, you know, it, it's a problem because your doctor can't help you maintain your health and, and be as healthy as you can be without a lot of active cooperation from you. So, um, you know, we don't rate patients because, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't see that in our future, but I think that the point that um, good health can only be achieved with the active cooperation of the patient or the active actually leadership of the patient in that scenario is is very true. Yeah. So presumably whatever certainly for a large health plan or even for a large medical practice they're going to have a range of patients and they're probably yeah. all going to average out. But the the beauty of this system is that it doesn't say to the doctor of the health plan well we don't we don't blame you for what happens or we we don't hold you responsible. Um you actually are holding the, the, the health plan and the doctors responsible for what patients do because, in fact, they do have control. They can encourage or educate. Well, they don't have and- control, but they have a lot of influence. And, um, you know, so a lot of us do listen to our doctors. And if our doctor remembers to tell us or notices that we, you know, did, did a test on us and, and says that I need to take this medication, then, you know, about half of patients will do that. Yeah. There you um, go. You know, other patients may need more work and encouragement, and they ne- may need a nurse to call up and remind them or somebody to say, I notice you didn't fill your prescription. Um, so, I mean, I think that what we're about is really um, trying to meet the needs of the patient, trying to make the patient take as much responsibility as they can for their own health. Uh, but some people need more help and more nudging than others. The standard measure that was used for evaluating health plans is your HEDIS measure, H-E-D-I-S? Yeah, we call that the Healthcare Effectiveness Data and Information Set. So it's a a list of measures, and uh, it includes things like how well did the health plan uh, assure that its members are getting the appropriate preventive medical services like mammograms, pap smears, uh, colon cancer screening, and so forth. Uh, There's also a range of... Uh, measures of how effectively does the plan take care of its chronically ill people? How are the diabetics doing in this plan? Um, what about the asthmatics? Are they getting the standard of care that's widely agreed to? 
Um, so, so that's what we do, that, that kind of thing. So we operate on, on the measurement side in areas where there's very high consensus that if you do this, the patient will be healthier. So we, we never want to be measuring things that are of doubtful value. Are these measures um, easy or, or difficult to is it, is it very uh, uh, obtrusive collecting these data? Um, when you say easy or difficult, you mean to collect? That's right. I, I, I guess yeah. I'm wondering, is it, is it simply um, collect, is it easily collected like you look at the claims data and you, you're collecting yeah, that anyway? It, there's a range in, in what we're looking at. Um, and uh, a lot of our measures are just derived from the claims data. Some of our measures, the claims data are not giving us every example of when it happened. You know, So typically the question with HEDIS is, for this population, for this thing that should have happened, what percentage of the time did it happen, you know, or what percentage of patients did it happen to? Um, and the higher is the better. Um, often the claims data will take you maybe to a certain percentage, but then there, there is a possibility of looking into the medical record and seeing if you get another boost when you look at the medical record because the claims data was incomplete. Um, so... You know, we call those hybrid measures. So that means it came from claims data and from the medical record. Some of our measures, the more clinically oriented ones, for example, about how how well did this plan's physicians take care of chronically ill patients, they require going to the rec medical record as the primary source. So um, it depends on the measure. And the more clinically complicated the issue, the less likely it is that we're going to find the answer in the claims data. You must salivate over the transition to electronic health records then. Oh, we, uh, we definitely look forward to the day when more information can be uh, derived from the electronic medical record. In fact, we currently have plans and practices that are able to upload data from their electronic medical record to us. Uh, so, for example, for our diabetes recognition program, there are a couple of medical records that um, are capable of uploading the, the data to us about how well the diabetics are being taken care of. And um, so obviously that's, that's a lot better. But, you know, if you're uh, like me, if your end game is to get people the best quality of care, it's even more exciting because an electronic medical record uh, does, doesn't only allow you to go in and count how many times did the right thing happen last year, but it allows you the opportunity to have a prompt appear at the time of the patient's visit, or even when the patient's not in there, it's possible to go in and, and, you know, look at a registry of people with diabetes, for example, and say, who really needs to be brought in here to, um, to let us work on trying to get their blood sugar under better control and so forth. So you, you, the, are, the advantages of the electronic medical record go way beyond measurement. Are, are you telling me that you think it's going to help to rely on more than the doctor's memory to make sure that every one of his patients is, say, you know, having their blood sugar tested at, at appropriate intervals? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that certainly does sound like a, a more logical and uh, effective approach. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. We're speaking today with Margaret O'Kane. She's president of the National Committee for Quality Assurance, better known by its initials, 
the NCQA. It's an independent nonprofit organization devoted to improving the quality of healthcare. They recently published their report. It's called The State of Healthcare Quality. We were just talking about diabetes. Specifically for diabetes, you said they can upload information. What kinds of things would be uploaded? So you, so the doctor would be able, with their electronic record, to create a list of the patients, presumably with their personal identifiers not included, and it, as a denominator for how many diabetics they had. And then they would yeah. be able to report the percentage whose blood sugar, say, is measured by their hemoglobin A1C is mm-hmm. below a certain level? Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds great. Um, yep. to, to some extent, it seems to me like the kind of thing that it, it, it's it's good and it's in-depth, but it's narrow. That, that, you know, I do dermatology, and my guess is there's probably not a single skin disease for which, you know, there are, you know, measures included or even well, measures you know, that are I, agreed you on raise an docs. interesting point. I think much of what we have that's really solidly evidence-based uh, – resides in the domains of primary care at the moment, and the specialty care measurement uh, is still evolving. So, I mean, there were some measures for dermatology uh, that were developed by others a couple of years ago, and there was a measure about um, whether the doctor looked at, looked at the patient's skin when they came into the patients uh, that had had malignant melanomas. Yes. And whether they had looked at the skin, which I think was widely regarded as kind of a low bar. <laughs> Um, but, you know, your point is well taken that, that this is all a work in progress. Um, the, the things that we have measures on um, are very important diseases that affect a large number of people and where there's really little debate about the scientific basis of what we're looking at. So, I mean, for example, you know, where else would we like to know more about cancer care, for example? Um, it's really very hard to measure cancer care because, there's so much variability in how patients get treated, and they're often not treated on a guideline or anything. So um, so that becomes a much more complicated uh, proposition to measure the, you know, the quality of care. You know, you can measure outcomes, but outcomes are much more subject to um, uh, factors that are not within the control of the health plan or the delivery system. And so, you know, they may be, may be unfair. You may be comparing apples and oranges. So, and, um, and to some extent, the outcomes that you can control, like, oh, um, death from cancer, I guess if you, if you put your health plan uh, enrollment office on the fifth floor of a building without an elevator, then you sort of can control your outcomes a little bit by enrolling your, the healthiest folks. Is, 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 um, controlling for the severity of disease, something that that gets done within these HEDIS measures? Um, because most of these are process of care measures as opposed to that kind of mortality outcome measures, yeah. we don't do much risk adjustment. The process doesn't need risk adjustment for the most part. Or, well, it, I mean, it does and it doesn't. I, I mean, I think that just to be fair, um, you know, we know that people with higher social, uh, socioeconomic status, you know, who have higher income and higher education um, also tend to be healthier and also tend to be more uh, activated as patients and, you know, more compliant with their medications and so forth. So, um, but those are lesser factors than, you know, comparing 
people that are relatively sick with people that are relatively well, which, you know, everybody agrees is really not fair. One of the things that your organization did that I found very exciting was its state of health care report that it put out. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the report, and then let's go over some of the highlights about it. Yeah, um, it, this is a report that we, we put out every year. You know, we're collecting data from all the plans that we accredit and a number of plans that we don't accredit. And we have now 118 million Americans enrolled in one of our plans. Um, so annually we release a report. Copy of it around. Uh, annually we re- release a, the report, and, um, you, know, we, you know, we usually observe interesting things. One of the things that got touched on in the news was um, vaccination rates in children. I thought I found those data fascinating. Yeah, fascinating and disturbing. I think that uh, we haven't seen that kind of a drop uh, in the past. And, um, you know, we didn't see it in Medicaid children. Um, and I think at the time that we published the report, our theory was that there, you know, this kind of urban myth about um, autism being, you know, caused by vaccinations. We were assuming maybe this had really caught on. We, we've since also had people point out to us that um, many of the plans that are being sold these days have very high deductibles, so that the patient has to pay out of pocket. Uh, before, you know, it may be two thousand dollars. That's a typical high deductible um, before they get access to. Um, care under insurance, and that it may be actually financial barriers that are causing uh, the the reduction in the immunization rates. Yeah, for our listeners, I believe the, your report said there was a 4% reduction, Yes, and, which is a lot of people. It is a, it's a lot. Now, and we didn't see it in the, in the Medicaid yeah. data, but again, Medicaid coverage tends to be very comprehensive, so we're we're going to have to do some more investigation to understand this, but it is certainly very disturbing. Okay, that's that's in the children. How about for um, older Americans? Were there any specific um, things that the report touched on? Um, well, we measure things like, uh, you know, uh, there are certain drugs that are really not recommended for elders, you know, because they may make them lose their balance and fall or something. Yes. Um, uh, so we measure how many times... Um, patients are on, you know, older patients are on drugs that they that are contraindicated for the elderly, and um, I'm looking for the number here. Um, we see about 25% of the time um, there are people that are that are on medications that they shouldn't be on. 23% was the latest number we have, which is an improvement uh, over last year was 23.4%. And then if you, you know, if you take uh, how many people are on two drugs that they really, that are generally not indicated for the elderly, um, it's, you know, around 6%. So there's room for improvement there. Another finding in the report was that cost and quality didn't seem to be closely related. I looked at some of the graphs and it looked like somebody took a shotgun and and fired it at at the graph paper. Right. And, you know, I think in general in life we believe if we pay more, we're getting a higher quality product. You know, we certainly think that uh, often about our cars or our appliances and so forth. 
but in healthcare, um, that relationship really is is not so clear. You know, so if you, you know, if, if for example, if a patient is in the hospital and uh, they get an infection, that may actually wind up costing more money. So a lot of things that are actually avoidable bad things also drive up drive up harm, and and drive up costs. So um, so the relationship is not. It's not the way it is in, in, in general in life. Well, I know we're coming to the end of our scheduled time together. I thought I'd find out from you your thoughts on specific things our listeners can do to improve their health or their health care. <coughs> I think there's one overarching message, and that is get involved with your health care. Ask questions. If you have an illness, learn about your illness. If you have a diabetes, for example... There are excellent websites um, through the National Library of Medicine or um, the American Diabetes Association that can help you figure out how to how to be healthy as possible. <coughs> I'm sorry, I have a cold. Yeah, I hope you're taking good care of yourself. <laughs> I am. I am. Um, and ask your doctor questions. You know, um, and tell your doctor things that your doctor needs to hear. You know, if you if you haven't been feeling well, if you're fatigued, tell your doctor. You know, one of the things that's going on these days is that our doctors are very rushed and they may not remember to ask us things. So if you think in any way that, you know, something that you're dealing with might be, uh, you know, have, having some impact on your health or your ability to uh, take care of yourself, your doctor needs to know that. So just be be forthcoming. <coughs> Don't be afraid to ask questions and then read up and uh, and talk to people and learn more about how to be as healthy as you can be. We know that patients that are activated have much better health outcomes. Ms. O'Kane, thank you so, so much for being on the program today. All right. Thank you. Measuring the quality of health care in the United States is a very exciting and changing field. What the NCQA is doing is really extraordinary, a private, nonprofit organization that's tracking plans, no government control here, looking at standards that physicians generally agree on, and then holding plans and medical practices accountable. That's great. You can learn more about the NCQA at their website, www.ncqa.org. Their report, State of Healthcare Quality 2010, is available uh, for download for free uh, right from the ncqa.org website. The report is really fascinating, describing lots of different interesting measures of quality, um, to what extent health plans are able to control or advise patients about their weight, uh, the immunizations point that... um, so many people are, so many fewer people now are getting their kids vaccinated. Well, certainly still a large proportion of people are, but even to see a 4% change uh, is really, is really kind, kind of striking. But the report is chock full of interesting tidbits and information. But by and large, our measures of quality are really very gross, very limited in many ways. For particular patients, it probably is hard to get doctors to agree on exactly what should be done 
patients have such different preferences. It may be lots of different things are appropriate. So measures that an organization like NCQA can do are things that people would agree, oh, yeah, this should generally be done in this situation. And I just wonder what percentage of all medical care that accounts for. As she points out, it's an evolving field, and electronic health records are going to create the possibility of looking into far more granular detail at the quality of care being given. Again, I don't think this is about government control. Here we have a nonprofit organization that's giving the public information on how different health plans and different medical practices are doing. But the bottom line is the medical practices and the health plans can only do so much. As Ms. O'Kane points out, they can influence what patients do, but patients at the end of the day have responsibility. She suggested getting educated. Uh, we spoke to somebody from the National Library of Medicine just a few weeks ago, um, and you can listen in on getting better health care to that podcast. Finding them on the Internet is really quite easy. Um, the National Library of Medicine's website is www.nlm.nih.gov. You can also find a host of, of, of very reputable patient uh, advocacy groups through the Dr. Score website. Just go to Dr. Score, scroll down to our patient resources um, link, and it will give you a link to fabulous patient advocacy group resources that I think are one of the best ways for patients to get educated about their condition. I want to thank you for listening to our show today. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, have the best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's drscore.com, drscore.com, and we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.